0: From, from the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for March 19th, 2020. Uh, I'm Jeremy Schilling here in New Jersey. Uh, we are joined by Keith Bennett, golf professional, the golf club of Newcastle, KeithBennettGolf.com. Um, and we're just going to say this straight out. I'm going to say this. This is not on behalf of Keith. This is on behalf of me. So weird time in our country, please stay safe, please stay healthy, please abide by any CDC regulations that are effective or or that impact your area. Um, some people are going to hear this in September and wonder why the heck you know this is, but I'm trying to create evergreen podcasts that can run at any time of the year and still be effective and still be... Um, you know, carrying the same message with them. So if you're hearing this now in March, you're wondering, why am I doing a golf uh, podcast when none of us, you know, can even get out there and play, especially if you're in the Northeast, I get it. It's annoying. Um, and it's not the thing to do right now, but we're just doing evergreen podcast to give people something to listen to, to give people hope. And then people listen to podcasts in all different types of the year. And this will be useful down the line. Um, so um, I hope this, this doing this podcast and the other three that are going to be coming out soon don't come off as offensive, but instead come off as uh, something to listen to and are good for people down the line. End cut, new scene. We welcome in Keith Bennett, Golf Club of Newcastle, and also online lessons at KeithBennettGolf.com. Good morning, Keith.
1: Morning, Jeremy. How are we doing
0: today? I am well. Um, let's start here. For those who follow you on social media, which I highly recommend, um, you and Macklemore, that would be the Macklemore, um, teed it up recently. He, per his Instagram, has been playing a lot, seemingly every day, every week, you know, three times a week, whatever the case may be. You teed it up with him recently two standpoints this 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 podcast uh uh, folks is about how to get your game ready for the for the new season so let's start here um just in general take this topic aside how is his game coming along because he looked like somebody at the AT&T that had a ton of potential and and had a couple good swings and I could see good things coming from his game as he continues how how is his game
1: yeah, man, it, it is. Uh, it's coming along. It's rounding into form. He plays a lot of golf, um, and you know, just I keep telling him, the more time he gets out there, and the more time he he experiences different situations, and the more time he kind of understands the, how to score and how to get the golf ball in the hole, and and what to do here, what to do there, how to deal with that lie, how to judge this situation. Um, he'll get better and better. Um, he actually shot his personal best yesterday uh 84 he texted me about it he's fired up and um and i think there'll be some more good stuff to come but no his golf game is is coming around we're we're, we're always kind of making little tweaks to it whenever we can get get the chance to get together and uh and actually work on his game we do a lot of stuff uh just kind of sending videos back and forth if we can't actually get in person with uh, our busy schedules uh, especially his his busy schedule but you know we've been finding time to get out on the golf course um pretty frequently over the last couple of months um which has been fun and definitely seeing his skill level keep evolving and and keep improving has been uh has been super fun for me but uh but for him as well
0: let me just dip back into coronavirus just for one second golf is a fairly safe sport to play during times of coronavirus walk don't take cards Wash your hands, keep the flag stick in, don't try to touch the flag stick, and continue to wash your hands over and over again and stay six feet away as much as possible from the people you are playing with. Alright, so when looking towards kickstarting your game for the year, here's somebody, super famous guy, clearly trying to get out there as much as possible. We have seen this over and over again with Darius Rucker, the guys from Lady Antebellum, the guys... From um, uh, Rascal Flats. They play a lot while they're on tour and they just play day after day after day. At what point does starting, especially once your game gets in the gear, we'll, we'll uh, kind of go in reverse here. Once your game gets in the gear for the season, Is it helpful to play as much as these guys play and as much as Macklemore is playing right now? Or can that actually be detrimental and ingrain bad habits if you happen to have them?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. Um, I think there's a fine line there. I think there's a balance that has to be made between uh, playing a lot of golf, um, but also making sure that, like you just said, Uh, You're not sort of figuring out how to get the golf ball in the hole with overly, you know, kind of bad habits that might need to be addressed down the line. Um, But, you know, for the most part, I think that anytime you can get out on the golf course and figure out how to get the golf ball in the hole, you're going to be better off. And I think, you know, some of those little micro adjustments and things uh, sort of happen over time. And, you know, they're not these big chunk changes that happen and, oh, you, you jump up, this this plateau of scoring, you know, I think everyone's kind of gotten it in their mind that if I make this little tweak in a month's time, I'll chop five shots off my handicap. And it just doesn't really work that way. Really, you just figure out kind of, you learn a few lessons every now and then you go on the course, you go, okay, in this situation I did this and it resulted in a bogey. I kind of knew it was coming, but I thought I'd try it anyway. You know, I can easily see how I could have just made a nice little simple par there and moved on and, you know, those type of revelations and discoveries are actually some of the most beneficial for your long-term golfing. Um, you know, if you're, having, if you're somebody who struggles to get the golf ball in the air consistently or, or hit it anywhere near your target consistently, then, yeah, you probably should be focusing on uh, some fundamental-type stuff, some mechanical-type stuff to help get that corrected. But if you can reasonably get your ball within a decent dispersion pattern around whatever target you pick, and you can aim yourself there and you can make a, a functional golf swing to get the ball there. Um, I think being on the course is, is probably more important than just beating balls on the range.
0: As we continue to work backwards, one thing that I always remind every single one of my guys, uh, my boys, when we play our first round of the year is it's the first round of the year. You're going to make a mental error. Don't kick yourself. Relax, relax. How important is it to... Look over your mistakes and realize, crap, this is dormant grass right now. I can't hit the super flop. I can't get under it. Why the heck did I do that? And make that mental note versus just moving on. It's the first round of the year. Who cares? I'm done with this. Where is that line between looking over your your mistakes or successes from the round and analyzing them versus just erasing that memory as fast as possible?
1: Yeah, I think there needs to be that period of reflection after a round of golf and just kind of asking yourself, okay, I made a big number on this hole. What happened here? You know, if you, let's say, hit a ball out of bounds or hit a ball into a hazard to start the hole off, okay, was there a thought in my mind of I'm trying to avoid something or I'm, I'm making a very a swing based in doubt or a swing based in fear? You know, and a lot of this stuff is tough for, for people um, – and I, I've experienced it myself is it because reflection is tough because you have to be honest with yourself. You have to sit there and say, I was in a bad mental state and that was on me, right? It's easier to pass blame on other things uh, to kind of preserve our ego and preserve our, our self-esteem, if you will. But, you know, the only real growth comes from that honesty. I've heard a ton of stories of Jack and Arnold Palmer being super open with how they assess themselves and how honest they were in their performance. And I think that is something that is that everyone can do and everybody can benefit from. So I do think it's super important to reflect on your round and just say, was I trying to do something I wasn't capable of and, and I knew it, but I went ahead with it anyway? Or was I swinging in fear or was I worried about what so-and-so would have thought if I hit, hit a shot here, you know, you fill in the blank with whatever, you know, kind of train of thought you might've had going. Um, but once you do that for maybe on your drive home or, or when you sit down uh, on the couch after the round or whatever, whatever you do, then at that point, yeah, you know, put it in the rear view and move on and and come up with strategies for how you can, you can get better. Um, but you know, going on this topic a little bit, it's, Interesting, I think everybody approaches a round of golf and they're they're surprised when things go wrong. They're shocked when when stuff starts to hit the fan and they, they have to adjust. But if you look back on every round of golf, any good round of golf played, any major championship Sunday round of golf played, things go haywire and you have to be able to adjust in real time. That is never going away. And so if we expect, a round of golf to be perfect flawless we'll never have a mistake and 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 that's kind of what we we have in our minds that that a good round of golf is supposed to look like then we're always going to be disappointed and we're always going to be panicking when stuff does go wrong we need to expect stuff to go wrong and then have strategies to actually adjust on the fly that's more important than anything
0: yeah um totally and to that point and you've probably heard Uh, PGA Tour players talk about this. They always remind people it is a 63-hole tournament. Everybody has a bad nine holes. It's how you play in the other 63 holes, which ultimately matters in the end. We are talking to Keith Bennett here on Teeing It Up. He is the PGA professional at the Golf Club of Newcastle in Newcastle, Washington, outside Seattle um, with us to talk about how to Get your game ready and fired up um, for the 2020 golf season. You can also hear um, uh, more from him uh, at KeithBennettGolf.com. All right, let's say you're Denver, and let's just throw out coronavirus for a second. Denver is getting somewhere between six to eight inches of snow over the next 24 hours. So they're going to be snow-covered. You know, cobwebs, not doing anything. All right, the snow's melted. It's time to start your season. Where do you begin? What's your recommendation for folks on where the heck they begin once the snow melts and they are given the clear by their uh, superintendents and other people to go ahead and start it? Well, you know, if, you're,
1: if you've are if you been kind of uh, snowed in and, and covered in snow and you can finally get on the course, I'd say... Go play some golf, right? Get out, get some exercise. Go walk, go walk 18 holes, go walk 36 holes, whatever you can get in. Go play some golf to start. Just get that, just get back out on the course and join yourself with some good, some good company, a nice foursome, and, and just go enjoy some golf for starters. Because so that's it. We're all, we're all just wanting to play golf. I don't think anybody really has in their mind that they just want to spend their entire golfing life on a range or on a putting green, right? (laughs) We all want to get out on the course and play. So make that a priority to start. Now, after you've gotten that sort of, you got back in the groove a little bit, as far as playing goes, my honest recommendation would be to start as close to the hole as you can with your practice and work your way back. So what that means is, you know, start with putting drills, start from three feet from the hole and working your way back to the driver um, you know you hear this all the time this is not new information this is not a new insight but when you go to your local driving range when you go to your local golf course just take a look around there will be about one or two people on the putting green maybe and there will be about 50 to 60 people in the driving range all hitting three woods drivers or seven irons right it's one of those three clubs and the interesting thing is, and I and I say this all the time to people, is that putting, the skill of putting, is actually probably one of the only areas of the game in which a recreational player can perform as well as a PGA Tour professional. You're never probably going to hit the, drive, the ball 300 yards. Everyone says they hit it 300 yards. They don't. You're never going to hit the ball 300 yards. You're never going to be able to hit your wedges to within... 18 feet of the hole on average but you can make all your three footers you can make all your four footers and you can two putt from 33 feet all day long and that's about as good as a tour pro does um but nobody places emphasis on it and they come back after a round with four five six three putts and you know they and they talk about the three putts and how if i just didn't three putt i would be x amount of shots lower um but you know if you never practice it what are you going to expect so I would honestly start as close to the hole as possible and then work your way back. What you're going to find, too, is that when you're confident in your 3- and 4-foot putts um, and you have a nice routine in place and you have a, a, a nice stable putting stroke in place, it breeds confidence into your entire golf game. So if I'm confident I can make any 3-, 4-, 5-footer I face, that frees up my chipping a little bit. All of a sudden, I don't have to feel like I need to chip it to a foot. So I might not have to take such an aggressive line or, or hit the, the hero shot you know flop hero shot or whatever the case may be and I don't feel like I have to hit every green because with my approach shot because if I miss a green I feel like I can chip it to win you know six, five, six feet of the hole and, and have a good chance at making one of those putts uh, to save some par um, so it, it really it, it, oddly enough when you practice your putting it's it, it, filters out into the entire golf game and all of a sudden you're swinging a little bit more free with your approach up you're chipping a little bit more free and making some smarter decisions which actually ultimately lead to more pars
0: keith with all due respect i love you but my driver off the deck is as good as any tour pro i promise
1: i don't know about that jeremy but i uh <laughs> i guess i'll just have to take your word for it
0: <laughs> no it's a very true point and um there's there's two things that I want to highlight off that. Number one, that's how Tiger Woods practices. So don't take if if Keith's persuasive words don't convince you, look to Tiger because that's how Tiger practices. Starts from three footers and then works his way back up to the driver. That's how he's done it his whole life. Number two, I think you can actually find stuff about your chipping through this process and. I may have told this story before on the air. I apologize if I if if I did. I was a horrible tight lie chipper, and I'm not trying to hit it to a three foot circle every time and be perfect. I'm just trying to eliminate the big number. That's basically what I'm trying to do. And I started. I took this tip from Butch Harmon and Golf Digest. I started using putting stroke chipping. And pitching wedge, 7-iron, 5-iron, you know, whatever you want. And it was something that was a throwaway idea just to kind of put tape on something, you know, tape on a scar. And I realized that this was actually effective, easy. Um, You can get better contact by lifting the toe off the ground a little bit. So I was able to perfect it more and get a little bit of spin on it. And suddenly I started holding these shots and getting these close to the hole and I think that being open to not hitting the fill flop, not hitting that perfect spinny wedge that takes two bounces and then checks, if you're open to more things early in the season, it can help your overall game because it relaxes you. And then you realize you're hitting good shots, so who cares how it looks? And if it's not pretty, because heck, I hit it closer than you, take it, sorry. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And here's the thing you got to realize, too, is that a lot of people uh, judge their success or failure on a one-off situation, right? One one shot at a time. But what you need to look at is that we're looking for an average. So let's say that in certain situations, if you used your pitching wedge or eight iron from one situation and then you contrasted that with a 58 degree or a 54 degree, yeah, you might nip that 54-degree close one time with that beautiful amount of spin, and it comes stopping right next to the hole, and it looks pretty, and it feels great. But, we're look at, like I said, we're looking at the average. So if you hit, hit 100 golf balls from that spot with the 8-iron, if your average is a foot closer to the hole, over time, that's going to play out into more par putts made and more saves. If your average with the the wedge is is two feet further from the hole, that's a huge difference in the grand scheme of things. So you have to, a lot of golf comes down to not you have to you have to sort of take into account every possible outcome. I think everyone's kind of living outcome to outcome instead of understanding that if it doesn't work today, it doesn't mean it was the wrong strategy, and if it worked today, it doesn't mean it was the right strategy. So we're looking at doing it. For an entire summer, an entire season, and then reflecting back and going, wow, my par save percentage was up ten percent or fifteen percent, and I can I can honestly say that I made a conscious effort to use X club more often or to avoid being short sighted more often with my approach shots, and look at the the big chunk of you know, and here comes my handicap comes soaring down. So it's not these one to one you know, situations, uh, it's, it's gotta, you gotta look at the entire average and, and, and give it a big enough sample size. Not enough people are, are letting it, it play out for long enough. I mean, these, if you're going to put a strategy in place, you got to give it six months to actually see if that thing's working or not. And then you can go ahead and, and make the adjustment.
0: Also, one other thing that I'll tack on to that is since you have so many international students, If you guys are low handicappers in a place that has fast greens, sometimes the simpler shot can keep you below the hole more often than the more difficult shot. It may get you closer, but what do you always hear at places like Augusta? Granted, I get it. Most places are are not like Augusta. That five-footer uphill is easier than the three-footer downhill. And that could be a part of your calculation that if you have more options that sometimes the weirder looking shot or the simpler shot that won't get you to a foot and a half, but will consistently get you to four feet, may leave you with the better leave round after round after round.
1: Right. Now, I will challenge you a little bit on that concept because this is one of those ones that we've heard all the time that can sometimes get a little too ingrained in the golfer's mind, and and that is we want to be below the hole. But one of the books I would really recommend people read is Every Shot Counts by Mark Brody. And in that book, he really goes into detail about that situation you just described where everyone wants to be below the hole. But again, if you're three feet from the hole above the hole versus eight feet from below the hole, you are going to make that three-footer more often than you're going to make that eight-footer straight up the hill. Just based on distance, just based on the fact that the ball is rolling on the ground for more time and it has more time to get thrown offline and all those sort of things. So I would, a little word of caution there, uh, because that also what happens, though, is let's say you have a front flag location um, and... There's a lot of green behind the hole, but everybody's scared of this particular green because it's generally very fast down the hill, and you don't want to be 20 feet above the hole putting downhill. What happens is people try to land it on the front edge because they want to, let's say you got 10 yards from the hole, you know, they try to land it on the front edge to try to putt uphill, and, you know, what we know about shot dispersions is that half of your shots are going to end up short, so now you're chipping all of a sudden. And now let's say that you blast your chip past the hole and then you three-putt because you're mentally frazzled at this point. It all kind of it all kind of started from that idea of wanting to putt from below the hole. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. And uh, I, I trust Mark Brody. For those who don't know Mark Brody, Columbia professor who came up with the whole strokes gain concept. So um, it makes total sense in practicality. Um, and conceptually it makes a lot of sense and I will always defer to Mark Brody. And one thing that I will, um, kind of, um, mention here and kind of leave open-ended because I don't know what the suspension of play will do to this concept. We are very close, uh, Keith, to having new strokes gain putting stats. You may or may not be aware of this. But strokes gained downhill, strokes gained uphill, strokes gained left to right, right to left, that kind of stuff's coming. It is in the pipeline, and those putts and those type of putts are coming.
1: Yeah, no, I, I look forward to all that information, um, because I think what happens is we get these sort of golf cliches or these, these things that have been, these sayings that have been passed down forever. Um, that you've heard over and over and over. Right? Right. Rather be chipping uphill than putting downhill, right? You hear that all the time, right? Rather be chipping from here than putting from there. Um, and it's really just not the case a lot of times where, um, I, it, and, and I'm not saying that you're wrong or that anybody else is wrong, but I think it's important and it's helpful to un, to see the actual numbers from millions and millions of shots collected to really say definitively, okay, putting from four feet downhill has a greater make percentage than putting from eight feet uphill. Um, unless it's like some sort of, you got to putt up two feet out and it's got a 90 degree angle break, right? These kind of very, very rare scenarios
0: yeah.
1: um, that we just don't encounter that much playing the greens that we're all mostly accustomed to playing. They just don't have that much severity of slope. Now, if you are playing an Augusta National, or, you know, a course around your hometown where the greens are outrageous and being above the hole is severely penalizing, then, you know, you do need to make an adjustment on that day. But I wouldn't say that it needs to sort of infiltrate your entire golf mentality just for one particular course.
0: Really good stuff here from Keith Bennett, Golf Club of Newcastle, KeithBennettGolf.com. All right. For the folks out there who may have last played in October, let's say, who are working on a swing key, let's say their club was not on plane in the backswing, so they're making some kind of adjustment and you know some kind of drill they were working on, whatever, is that where they pick up when the new season starts, or do you want them to play, get video, look at their swing again, and then figure it out? How how do you go about? I had a swing fault, and this thing, when last season ended, it's a new season, what the heck do I do?
1: Yeah, no, solid question, because a lot of people are probably going through that same thought process right now. Um, my honest recommendation there would be, first off, we need to be filming our golf swings. Every time we go to the range, we've got to be filming. Um, it's just too hard to predictably say what the club is doing um, throughout the motion, if you don't have time to look at it from a slow motion camera's perspective, uh, it's just very hard to, to feel that in real time. Um, unless you are someone who's put hours and hours and hours in, and you and you know what the feels are, and, and you have an unreal understanding of your swing, it's just very hard to do that if you if you just don't have those hours spent, which most of us uh, don't have that time to do. So. My honest recommendation, because swing fields can change so often. Um, our bodies are always changing, you know, an entire winter of not touching a club. Our bodies are different. Our muscles are different. You know, maybe we've been working out in the off season. You know, some muscles are a little tighter than others, a little bit, uh, you know, you name it, right? Things just change. So what was working in the in the fall, now that we're picking back up in the spring, there's a real good chance that those things are not the same as what they once were. So I would recommend filming your swing, and then if you can, try to get to a, a PJ professional, a teaching professional that you trust, uh, whoever you, uh, you have a good relationship with, um, who can really put something in place for you to make your practice productive. I think, I think one of the most things people can benefit from is a half-hour range plan that is regimented and has a purpose to it. I get there at, you know, I get there at 5 o'clock after work, and by 5.45, I've worked 15 balls of this, 15 balls of that, 30 balls of this, and then, you know, 15 minutes spent putting, Um, and I'm out of there. And I've gotten a lot of good work done, uh, and I'm I'm actually working towards something. I'm keeping a golf journal with my thoughts and my progress, you know, writing down little mini victories along the way, that sort Hmm. of stuff. I think... A lot of that can go a long way for people, uh, and and I I don't see anybody doing it.
0: That's really interesting. A golf journal. I think a lot of people walk off the course, and it's like, shit, I just hit two balls out of bounds. I was en route to one of my best rounds. I threw it away. F this. I'm going off and doing other things. And They never journal what they were experiencing. And It sounds like you want people to say, okay, I got to the 17th tee. I know this is a tight fairway. This is the most nervous I've been. I'm about to shoot the best round of my life. Help. I'm I'm gripping the club so tight. And those are the things you as a teacher would want that you're not getting because people just want to throw away their thoughts of the round because they're so done with golf right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to that honest reflection topic we were talking about. You know, a lot of people don't like to to bring back up that experience they had on the seventeenth because it, it, it makes them it makes them feel like they're mentally weak or that they're admitting that they're not mentally strong enough. But until you admit that, until you until you have a coach that you can talk about that with, who's empathetic and who's been there and who understands, and can give you practical things to work on and practical strategies to put in place, you're just going to end up in that same situation again with no way to stop it from happening. I mean, we all want to get to that 17th tee or 18th tee with a chance to shoot our best round and, and stand there and go, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do on this tee shot, and I know exactly where my miss is going to be. I know exactly what, what hole, you know, how I'm going to attack this hole, and, and that's my only focus. But until you understand how to do that and have strategies in place to make that happen, um, you're just going to be basically groundhog day, right? Just, you know, the definition of insanity. And so you need to have a strategy in place to to curb that and to go, okay, I know I'm going to, I have a chance to shoot my best round ever, but what have I been working on? I've been working on my routine. I've been working on my target selection. I've been working on swinging the club to the target, you know, what, you know. fill in the blank. Uh, and, and that's what you have to fall back on. I think one of the best quotes I read recently from uh, Chris Voss, who I read his book, which is awesome, about negotiating, is, you know, a lot of people think that in a pressure-packed situation, you rise to the occasion. Uh, but in reality, what you do is you fall to your highest level of preparation. And I think that's a really cool statement because it just goes to show if you're prepared – in those high pressure situations, you'll know what to do. Um, but if mm. you think you have this romantic envision in your mind that, oh, I'm just gonna be i I'm just gonna rise to the occasion and I'm just somehow gonna pull from this well of, of experience and and kind of you know, everything I've read over the years, it's all gonna come into my mind all at once and I'm gonna shoot the best round ever. It doesn't work that way.
0: You know what's funny about that is I had an, uh, I, I, I had my next question for you in my head. And then, <coughs> excuse me, as I'm listening to you talk about that, I thought about this one hole I've been having trouble with. And I got so engrossed in thinking about the plan that I now forgot the question. Um, which, which may be the best confirmation you've ever received. <laughs> um <laughs> About something working. We're talking to Keith Bennett here. I'm teeing it up. There's, there's, oh, yes, this is it. Okay. There's a lot of people out there who may have gotten a Christmas gift, a holiday gift, a new gift, it's a new season. I'm going to get new clubs. Yes, I'm going to finally do it. And I'm going to fit myself and I'm going to go through this process. If you're that guy in Colorado who just got six inches of snow, fell on the ground, and then, you know, four weeks later, whatever it is, he's cleared the go, let's do this. When do you pull that trigger? When do you make that purchase?
1: Uh, I think it's different for for each person. I think it's got to be on a person-to-person basis. Um, It depends on where your swing is at. Uh, You know, a a good fitter will be able to put you in the right set of clubs, even if you're not swinging it the best, Um, and they'll have a a, a, an eye for being able to see kind of what you do repeatedly. Um, you know, I, everyone kind of thinks in their mind, uh, you know, I'm not consistent enough to get fit, or I don't hit the ball a certain direction every time to get fit. But what spitters are, are able to do is is see that there there's, everyone always has a consistent pattern, right? Even if you're a slicer, uh, and you say, okay, sometimes I hit it straight left, and sometimes I slice it straight right. Well, there's a consistent theme here. You know, your club's path is moving across the target line right to left for a right-handed golfer and it's just a matter of where your club face is pointing at impact
0: okay here on teeing it up keith bennett's with us golf professional we got interrupted we're talking about getting fitted and how good fitters will know what direction your club face is coming from even if you're not hitting it well that hitting it well that specific day so uh go ahead uh keith
1: Yeah, so uh, like we were saying, you know, even if you don't feel like you're consistent enough to get fit, I hear that a lot, right? Is my swing ready to get fit for new clubs? I think I'm ready for new clubs, but I don't know if my swing is ready yet. Um, You know, if you can get the golf ball airborne, if you can get it moving in, you know, relatively straight towards your target, it doesn't have to be perfect, uh, a good fitter will be able to identify the things that you do consistently, right? Everybody has a consistent club path that they're producing. For most people, that club path is moving a little bit across the target line from right to left if you're a right-handed golfer. And then it's just a matter of whether your face is a little open or your face of their club is a little closed to determine which way that golf ball is going to curve, if it curves at all. But being able to have at least just a consistent path um, and somewhat of a consistent face angle right it'll be within a window uh they'll be able to fit you for a set of clubs that will improve your your ball striking improve your dispersion improve your your launch angles improve your dispersion all that sort of stuff so again it's different for each person based on you know if you do have the ability to hit it hit it in the air and and, in the direction of your target you can get fit for clubs and you'll benefit from it Um, If you're just starting out uh, and you really need a a, a refresher and you're struggling to even get the golf ball up in the air, whatever the case may be, yeah, then maybe a series of lessons before you get fit is probably the best way to go.
0: We are talking here with Keith Bennett from the Golf Club of Newcastle and KeithBennettGolf.com. What's the biggest question you get beginning of the season, either from your on-site students or from your internet students?
1: The biggest question I get is, um, you know, what's a a swing thought that I should have um, or or I need a couple of swing thoughts. I I get this a lot that I want, I need some swing thoughts or I need something to to focus on. Um, And I think it's an interesting topic because in my experience, people spend too much time bouncing around from swing thought to swing thought. Um, and what they're really kind of saying is, you know, I'm desperate for anything that will work when I stand on the first tee because I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and that's a common thing. It's, it's, it's a little daunting for a lot of people. Um, and why swing thoughts kind of work periodically you know everyone kind of gets a hold of a swing thought that might work for for a week or something and then it's kind of gone is what happens is when they're just focused on one swing thought what they're really doing is just keeping one intention in their brain instead of the five or six that they're used to keeping in their brain over every swing so if they're just focusing on you know fill in the blank right that's their one key focus and the brain is really good at coordinating movements of the body when it just has one thing to focus on. The problem is they go with that swing thought for a week or two, it's working, and then they think, Ooh, I got this swing thought down. Let me just go ahead and try to add in that other one I was working on, and then I'll really be cooking. And then what they do is before they know it, they've got two to three going, and then the brain and the body have no idea what to focus on, and then it all goes to hell. Um, so that's that's sort of the, the problem with swing thoughts. And in my mind we really just need to have one key to focus on and that is to swing the club in the direction of the target and if you imagine you know how we do anything as far as moving an object to a target right throwing a dart rolling a bowling ball tossing a ball to somebody right swinging a tennis racket ping pong paddle you know you name it whatever it is all of those things your arm or the paddle have to be moving in the direction of your target right if you throw a dart your arm is going right at the bullseye if you toss a ball your arm is going right at the person you're tossing the golf ball or the tossing the ball to if we're swinging a club we need that club to be moving in the direction of our target now a lot of people have that club moving across the target line to the left and then they have to open the club face in order to make it slice back to their target and so they're constantly trying to fix that um But the cool thing about that swing thought is, and there's a ton of great research behind this, I would really, really recommend people uh, look into Dr. Gabrielle Wolf's uh, research. She does a lot of amazing research on the external focus of attention during sports and especially during golf. Uh, And all that basically means is external focus being anything but the body. So the club head, the ball, the target, the club shaft, right? Um, but the most beneficial being the target or the club, she's found, are the most beneficial things to focus on are, are what the club is doing and, and, and the target that you're trying to send the golf ball to. Um, so if you're focused on where your target's at and moving that club in the direction of that target, your brain gets really good at coordinating the body's movements to make that intention of moving the club to the target as seamless and as efficient as possible for your particular body type, right? Everyone's going to be different. Everybody has a different set of muscles that move differently, more flexible, less flexible, taller, smaller, longer arms, you know, you know, you name it. There's so many differences, but the universal truth is that if that club is moving in the direction of the target and the club face is somewhat square to that target, the ball can only go uh, within a certain dispersion range of that target. So, to go back circle back the number one question i get a lot of common question i get is what should a swing thought be what should my feel be um and, I, and my my common answer is focus on what the club is doing and where the club is moving and that club needs to be moving in the direction of your target
0: keith bennett's with us golf club of newcastle keith bennett we're going to um the the next set of podcasts with with Keith, who's kind of become our resident PGA professional here, I'm teeing it up. Um, is going to cover a bunch of mental related stuff. So we'll dive even further into that. Two more uh, for for Keith. Um, let's see if I remember these questions. Yes, I am going outside of what I said we were going to talk about today. So if you don't know this answer, just bear with me. There's there's a lot of or sorry, that's okay, and just let me know. Um, we have a lot of, of, of people out there who may have um, started their season in cooler weather cooler weather. let's try that again. Then they uh, will play most of their season and there's data that certain temperature drops lead to x percentage distance lost and, and the ball doesn't go as far. Yet then again, people always think the ball goes farther than it actually does, anyways. They should be taking distance off, no matter what time of year it is. Where is your um, recommendation to people out there? And and obviously, this involves if you're at altitude, downhill, uphill. But just in general, how much does temperature really impact how far the ball goes? Uh,
1: as far as the percentage wise, I don't I don't know off the top of my head. You know, this degree drop affects the ball flight X percentage amount. Um, what I do know, however, is that the bulk majority of golfers do not know definitively how far each of their clubs carry. Um, they sort of have in their mind that one 7-iron they hit once in Hawaii when it was 85 degrees, and they hit it, and it was a little downhill, and they absolutely crushed it, and then for the rest of their golfing lives, that's in their mind as how far their 7-iron goes. And that's unfortunately the case. Um, where I don't know that I've played golf with with a kind of a a recreational golfer or a weekend golfer over the years where they've hit a shot past the hole very often. Um, And that's because they're oftentimes hitting a club that they feel will get to the hole, but but like I said, that was based off that one time and that one scenario um, where they absolutely crushed their club and it went, 20 yards further than than normal, Um, and that really hurts a lot of people's score. Um, I'd say the number one thing, the the two most important things in golf is controlling your direction and controlling your distance. I mean, that's basically it. That's all we're trying to do is we're trying to control where we hit that golf ball and how far we hit it. So if you don't have a, a really good idea of how consistently far you hit your clubs, it's going to affect your scoring immensely. Um, so, you know, to go back to your question, I don't know the exact percentage drop per, per you know, temp drop that, that will come off your club, uh, but I do know that you don't hit your irons as far as you think you do, and you need to know exactly how far. If you hit your 7-iron 135 yards, that's how far your 7-iron goes. Does it matter? No. Will it hurt your ego to think that you don't hit it 165? A little bit. But you get better at controlling your distance and actually putting the ball where you want it to be with a smoother swing? Absolutely. And at the end of the day, we're trying to shoot the lowest score, not talk about the fact that we hit a 7-iron 170 on this hole uh, and we shot 98. So, you know, prioritize what's important, and that's getting the ball in the hole in the shortest amount of strokes, and it doesn't matter what club you use to get
0: it done. Amen to that. Um, All right, final question for Keith Bennett, Golf Club of Newcastle, KeithBennettGolf.com, if you want to use the Skillist app for um, online golf lessons, which he is offering uh, even in this crazy time. Macklemore shoots the best round of his life. What is the lesson from his recent journey to get to that number that we should all take? Because we all like to end things on a happy note, especially in these times. So what is the happily ever after story from Mac Lamar and shooting his best round and the hard work he's put in which should transfer to all of us out there?
1: Uh, Persistence, man. Uh, Just, you know, taking the lumps, um, learning from it, getting back out there, um, not getting too discouraged. Um, I think his biggest strength is his disposition and just his mental outlook of kind of positivity, sort of New shot, you know, new shot each time. You know, we've worked on that of just kind of, you know, one every shot is a new problem to solve. Um, You know, once you hit your last shot, you know that that's done. You're never going to get it back. So there's no point in sitting there and ruminating over it and and beating yourself up over it. Um, So you know, new shot, new problem, um, and and solve it right. Every shot, you know, the lie, the wind, the slope the green you're hitting into, the firmness of the greens you're hitting into, all those things, that's a problem to be solved, and if you are just in a mental space where you're just focusing on the last mistake you made, or even focusing on the last positive shot you made to too much of an extent, and you're probably going to miss a few crucial things about the shot that you have at hand that could have helped you be more successful with that shot. So I think the main lesson to take away is just persistence of keep coming back, right? You know, we've played together with, you know, he's he's been a little upset over some some rounds that we've played, but then we talk about it, you know, immediately after the 18th hole, and we have a nice little breakthrough of either it being technique or mentality, um, you know. And one of the things he said the other day was, you know, I've learned now enough that most of my improvements come after my worst rounds. So right when I think, you know, I'm, I'm fed up or I'm upset over a bad round, that's generally when most of our, our biggest milestones or our biggest sort of light bulb moments take place. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons is that a lot of people who pack it in after a bad round and say, I'm taking two weeks off, right, they, they don't give themselves enough time to reflect and go, okay, this area of my game is really bad and I need to focus on it or this area of my game is solid. And I can build off of that and sort of and, and sort of work around that. But I really need to get this piece of my game shored up. How do I go about doing that? So I'd say that's the biggest lesson to be learned as far as kind of achieving new plateaus or new milestones is, is just that reflection, that understanding that some of our worst rounds lead to some of our biggest breakthroughs and then just, you know, keep a nice positive outlook and keep persisting.
0: Especially for someone like him, who's such a genius when it comes to words, and is so damn good in getting really intricate thoughts out there. <clears throat> Maybe that problem-solving aspect really you know, rang true for him, and really was what put these two things together. Because every hole is a new problem. Every shot is a new problem. And every song and every beat is a new problem. And maybe those two things came together and uh, have created both music magic and um, golf magic. And coming later this year, hopefully still on time, um, clothing magic for his new clothing line. Keith Bennett, Golf Club of Newcastle, Newcastle, Washington, and KeithBennettGolf.com and that is the uh, that is the Instagram handle as well. Keith, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Showing.
1: Yeah, man, of course, absolutely. Anytime, happy to uh, come on and talk with you, and uh, always enjoy it, man. Hopefully we can keep doing it.
0: You got it. My, my pleasure, and we absolutely will. Stay safe to you, stay safe to everybody out there, and we will see you next time on Teeing It Up.